There is this. Uh, <laughs> good job. I have heard this uh, gender stereotype according to which women love to plan their weddings and men love to plan their retirement. <laughs> I don't know if this is true because my wife Joanne didn't get to plan her wedding. As some of you know that we had an arranged marriage. So she was told whom to marry and when to marry and she just did it. Uh, she's not here, she's in Canada, so I can say whatever I want, so. <laughs> I didn't get to plan my retirement, as some of you know, I retired at 30. That's when I switched from, um, like I call my transition from technology to theology. I chose to be a full-time minister at age 30. From that day onwards to this day, I've never worked a day in my life. Uh, I don't think ministry is work. I don't think this is a work, and I believe this is a privilege uh, to be here. I never looked at a salary before I signed an employment contract in ministry because it doesn't matter. I'm just privileged to be part of God's ministry. So I believe that I retired at 30, but I didn't get to plan. It was happened all of a sudden, so I retired without money. Normally people retire with money so they don't have to worry about that. So, so I didn't, it was a little too fast for me. But recently we got to plan our death together. You know, Joanna and I, we have uh, two daughters and one of them is a financial analyst. She said, well, you guys should plan about your death. <laughs> Will and testaments, okay. Um, so she came with her computer to, to manage all our assets and she said, bring all the papers, it's going to take a while. And you know, she, her computer you know, opened and you know, the whole thing, she was going to tablet and, and she was done in an hour and she said, this is all you have? <laughs> so it was the easiest, easiest planning, uh, the shortest will that we could do. So the reason I'm saying this, we all plan our weddings or retirement, plan trips, and plan different things. But there is only one person who lived in this planet who got to plan his birth. None of us got to plan our birth. We just happened to be born. We had no say in it. We had no say which ethnicity we are going to be born, which place we are going to be born, who would be our parents. We had no say. But only one person, as you know, Jesus, had all the time in his hand to plan his birth. And in my humble opinion, he did a terrible job, right? <laughs> if you don't believe me, let's read. Stand with me as we read today's verse. Micah 5.2 But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Now you know that the fact we celebrate Jesus was born on December 25th is not correct in multiple levels. First of all, Jesus was never born. Jesus was never born. We know in the beginning there was word and the word was with God and the word was God and this is the incarnation of the word that pre-existed beyond anything and everything. So what we celebrate is not really the birth of Jesus, it's entrance into the world. That's why we call Advent. The transition of this eternally existing God from an ethereal, an ethereal entity to an earthly realm. Jesus descending from eternity to time. Now that's what's happening. It's like a two little, little, two little sweet baby. No, that's not what's happening. It's good. It's a metaphorical truth, yes. So Jesus was never born. He transitioned from one reality to another, which is what we celebrate. And as we have been watching this or hearing this in our series, promised to presence the last few weeks, this was prophesied right from the beginning. The opening book of the Bible, Genesis, in the Garden of Eden itself, started the planning of God. You see God speaking to the woman who is a culprit in the story of Garden of Eden. To him, to her, God said, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now that is a profound prophetical truth that one day a person will be born as the son of a woman, not of a man. The seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent, which is the evil or Satan who created the whole mess right from the beginning. So there was a prophecy right from the beginning of the advent of Logos or the word who is going to incarnate into the world. Then we see in Numbers, the star of Jacob and the scepter of Israel is going to come and rule the mighty king, the messianic prophecy. The Messiah is going to come and deliver the world. A new king is going to be born. And going further, we see in the book of Isaiah, prophecies after prophecies, he is going to be the prince of peace and he is going to be born of a virgin and all of this. And now, here comes Micah, almost at the last. And there is this prophecy, a prediction of the exact place where he is going to be born. Now, Micah lived almost 700 to 730 years before Jesus was born. Micah is precisely on the Google map pointing, this is exactly where Jesus is going to be born, 700-odd years ago. It is almost like, I don't know, in the 1300, someone like Joan of Arc or John, John Wycliffe predicting where Barack Obama will be born or something like that. It's just as crazy as that. 
Now that's the prediction. And the king is going to be born in Bethlehem. And because of that prophecy, poor Joseph and Mary had to run to, because they never lived in Bethlehem, even though they were from Bethlehem. Now the prophecy has to be fulfilled because of this big Caesar, you know, Octavius Augustus had to have this decree because Micah prophesied this 700 odd years ago. The Caesar thought, okay, he's going to consolidate his kingdom and, you know, create a, a form, you know, a good tax bracket for everybody. That probably was his decision for the census. You know, he declared the census. That's what he, was, he thought he was doing. No, poor guy was forced to do that because Micah had already prophesied. He had to issue that decree. That Caesar is a puppet in the prophecy of God. And that's why, again, you know, poor Joseph and Mary, they could have born somewhere where they were, and probably they were from Nazareth, but they had to rush towards Bethlehem where he had to be born because Micah had predicted this is exactly how it is going to happen. And Jesus had all the time in his world from eternity to eternity to plan his birth. At least he could have booked the motel room, right? <laughs> they didn't even have a place to be to have this birth planned out. Now this is what we heard last week, right? Pastor Nick said there is this magnificent reversal. There is this divine irony of when God is doing something, when God is birthing something, God has birthed something in Mary, but God is also birthing something in you too, in me too. And we think it will go perfectly as planned because it is God who is birthing it. Everything will be taken care of. Everything will go, you know, prim and proper. That's what we think. No, when God births something in you, it will be a mess. It will be a mess because the, that is the magnificent reversal we heard, the divine irony. And God chooses out of all the places, out of all the beautiful cities, he chose Bethlehem Ephrata too little among the clans of Judah. Really? Jesus should have born in Jerusalem, don't you think? If I was planning my birth, I would plan it in Los Angeles or New York, not in, I don't know, Rancho Cucamonga or, you know, <laughs> no disrespect, but shouldn't I plan my birth in a glamorous city? No, and the, that, that is the, it's a very modest town and people say there was only a few hundred people there lived there, and that's why the Christmas song, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Now that is the divine irony of God birthing something. When his promise came to presence, it was a spell-binding climax, a twist, flipping the script, not according to everybody's expectation. It's funny, not only his birth, and then he chose to live in this place called Nazareth. He is called the man from Nazareth, Nazarene. 
And you know, Nazareth was notorious for many reasons. There is a verse which actually, there is this episode when Jesus starts his ministry, there is this gentleman named Philip became one of his disciples. And he went around and inviting all his friends to join Jesus' new party, new disciples band. And Philip talked to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel, come on, join Jesus. And then you know what Nathaniel re replied? You probably know this verse. John chapter 1, 44 to 46 reads this. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he not only he born in a wrong place or a little town, but he also chose to live in a, in a place which is not in the, in the map of the scholars and the urban professionals of at that time. Again, you see the divine irony of God's choosing. And how many times we write of people because of where they are coming from? Oh, he is from that country or he is from that city. What good can come out? We do this too, right? Like, you know, we expect a scholarly person to speak certain way and come from certain kind of heritage or lineage. And that is the way, you know, this kind of prejudices in, you know, somehow we have imbibed that from the culture. And Jesus again flipped the script with that. And it's interesting, even the very state he was coming from, Galilee was a state in which Nazareth was, and he was also called the man from Galilee. And Galilee was known as the people of blue collar, you know, people who are not, again, not urban professionals, not scholars come from there. They are all poor people, ordinary men, fishermen, and all shepherds, and all those sort of folks. And apparently, they even had a different kind of accent. That's what we read. You know, in, in England, there's, you probably heard, I mean, this is a sort of a derogatory way of saying it. They say Cockney accent in particular side of London where the working class people coming from because their accent give away their, the, the, where they are coming from. And they are looked down upon based on their accent. Now, Jesus had an accent too at that time. The Jerusalem professionals didn't like that. So, you know, there's another episode towards the end of Jesus' ministry. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was, go he was betrayed by, by one of his disciples. And while he was being prosecuted by the high priest and the synodrine, Peter was following him. You remember that episode. One lady identified him and said, aren't you the one with Jesus? He said, no, 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 I don't even know him. Then there is another man said, aren't you the, uh, another lady said, aren't you the man with Jesus to Peter? And said, no, 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 I don't know him. Again, the second time. Now the third time, Matthew 26, 73 reads this. Matthew 26, 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent, <laughs> your accent gives you away. Jesus and, the, and his disciples had a, had a very, uh, you know, like unsophisticated accent. 
It's funny, you know, when I came to Lake Avenue, many of the old timers would come to me and say, Pastor Matthew, we really love you. We really like you. You are almost very much like our, one of our founding pastors, Dr. Henry Hutchins, except that he had a terrible accent. We couldn't understand him, right? <laughs> Not everybody can speak like me, you know. Leave the, leave the man alone, right? So but <laughs> the, 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 the point is that quite often, and we kind of make judgment based on how people speak and where they are from. And in all these permutations and combinations you filter through, Jesus did a terrible, terrible planning for his birth. A little town of Bethlehem. But what really happened was, see, Bethlehem was chosen not because of its size or it's because of its greatness. But the very fact that Jesus was born there changed the destiny of this town called Bethlehem. That's the real story. See, Jesus, we would say, was, you know, as we heard from all of these examples, that he was kind of, what do you call, the wrong side of the track, right? Like that's the that's a phrase we use. Jesus came from the road's wrong side of the track. But he changed that into the right side of the world history, Bethlehem, the city. Now, there was a time, well, actually, even before going there, you know, there's a show in Netflix called uh, Selling Sunset. I don't know how many of you watch it, but, you know, I just browsed through it. It's a, very, it's a show, but, you know, it's not worth watching. But, but it's about, you know, people call me and say, wow, this is a glamorous place called Sunset. You get to live in Los Angeles. Have you ever been to Sunset? My goodness, that's where people should live. Actually, I've been to Sunset so many different times. But I've lived in four different countries. I've seen the beauty of this planet in so many different ways. And Sunset Boulevard or Sunset, that area is not even the top number 10 for me. It's not just about the place, but everybody wants to live in Sunset Boulevard or Sunset, that area, because celebrities live there. It is not the area itself. It's a very dry, hilly area. Pasadena is far better than that, in my humble opinion. But it's the, it's the people who live there. It's the glamorous people who live there. See, the celebrities don't just move to prime real estate, but the presence of the celebrities make the place a prime real estate. That's what happens. Right? That's what Jesus is doing here. And there was a short period in our life. We lived in downtown Los Angeles. Downtown Los Angeles, uh, almost three blocks east of Staples Center. That's where the action is. Very luxurious kind of living. We couldn't really afford it, but we lived there almost a year. A lot of young people in that, like a luxury condo, and we were kind of the oldest, and everybody drives BMWs and Maseratis and like, you know, fancy, fancy living, and you're right in the center of the action. But so three blocks to our west is Staples Center, and three blocks to our east is Skid Row. Skid Row, as you know, is the slum capital of America, right? And that is the irony of Los Angeles. You can drive and you just take a wrong turn, you enter into a completely different place. So, so we were, they, are, they are trying to gentrify that place. 
They are trying to bring in these new condos and you know, make the living a little more upscale and change the real estate value. And very next to the condo we lived in, there was another condo. And when we drive there, and there is this big banner up there in that condo, it says, the king lives here. I always wonder, what, that, what does that mean? The king lives here. Then later I came to know that LeBron James, LeBron James is the king, right? So LeBron James has a, has a condo in that building. That's what they are promoting. And I'm pretty sure LeBron James didn't pay for it because this condo definitely wanted him to be there. You know, when you are a celebrity, they want you to be there, so suddenly the real estate value goes up. So it's his presence, so I wondered if, if LeBron James and Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise slowly moved into Skid Row, we will have a new show called Selling Skid Row. Because that's what real estate is all about. It is the presence. It is not the place, it's the presence. The point is this, this, two little, this little town of Bethlehem to which the king was born. The king of the universe was born and he changed the real estate value of the whole place. Now that is what should happen this Christmas. And I'm telling you, this Christmas, if this did not change your perception of real estate, I mean spiritual real estate, it is not going to be any use to you. It will be a shallow celebration of glitter and glamour and family, which is all fantastic. We have Thanksgiving for that. But all these lights will fade away. The credit card bills are going to come. But I want you to remember that you can hear a knock at the door. And the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I knock at the door. I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. Would you invite Jesus into your heart? Once he comes into your heart, the value of your life is going to radically change. It is going from Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard. The glamour, the one who lives in you is the real king. And that is going to change the perspective, your perspective, and the way you look at life and the way others look at, look at your life. Now that should be the true Christmas, would you let the king be born into your life? Would you let the king live in your life so that you can see the change that is going to happen in the world, not only in you, but through you? Now that is the real Merry Christmas. Now I invite you, please don't say that there is no room in the inn. Many of us on the Sunday morning, wasting people, people wasting their time and they have no, no room in their inn to, for this king to be born. And before you, here is an opportunity. See, Bethlehem has witnessed something even miraculous before. Jesus was not the only person to be, only famous person to be born in Bethlehem. 
David, the mighty king of Israel, was also born in Bethlehem. See, see, we should be known for the people we give birth to. I always think about what is my dream for Lake Avenue Church. I don't think about how many people we hear. Okay, we have so many people here. We quite often, the metric we use to measure the growth of the church is the number of people who attend, the size of our budget. No, the size, the, the, the metric we should measure is how many people we produced. How many people we gave birth to. Little town of Bethlehem have given birth to two people, David who changed the destiny of Israel and Jesus Christ who changed the destiny of the world. Two people, that's all we need. Looking for two. <laughs> Looking for two. Not 2,000, it's okay. You're all welcome here, it's fine to come here. But the point is that our perspective has to change. The Bethlehem teaches us Bethlehem challenges us our perspective about spiritual real estate. Our understanding of what church is, what the house of God is. Now today, would you pray with me? Lord, help me to experience real Christmas. Help me to change the value of my life by being born into my heart. I'm tired of living the ordinary, the mundane life. I'm tired of chasing the same thing the world is chasing, the same toys the latest trends in everything. But this Christmas, Lord, let this be different. Let my heart be Bethlehem Ephrathah, even though it is small, Lord. Would you be born into my life? Oh, that little town of Bethlehem, as the, as the song goes. Could you see that, that Bethlehem, even in the darkest of its street, the, the lyrics goes, Hope and fears of the world meet in Bethlehem. What a beautiful place to be in. Would you invite Jesus into your heart and make this real Christmas? Let's pray. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, listen to us we pray, cast our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Help us to be true cradle of your incarnation, to give birth to something the world will envy that our hearts will become the greatest manifestation of God's glory and power. For that, we surrender ourselves today. In Jesus' name, amen.